Yo, 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 what's good, everybody? I'm Theo, and welcome to the Mid-Range Game Podcast. Coming your way from Chicago, Illinois. Here, it's early as fuck. It's 8.15. Not quite used to getting up this early. You know, I worked in the hospitality field for like the last eight years. Uh, My shift for eight years was literally 2 to 10. And now, you know, working a different job, different shift, he requires me to get up at six in the morning. So it's a, it's a bit of an adjustment. Eventually, I'll get the hang of uh, this shift. But man, <laughs> you know, getting up, it's a big difference between getting up at like, you know, eight or nine in the morning versus getting up at six in the morning. So. I'm going to work it out, y'all. I'm going to get my shit together on that end. But, uh, man, just wanted to talk about the uh, two topics today. Uh, actually, three. No, two. <laughs> uh, the NFL MVP race, and I also want to make uh, my Super Bowl pick. And after that, I want to talk about uh, NBA basketball, uh, particularly the different errors. And I'm going I'm to approach it by decade. Because, you know, I run into a lot of people on Twitter. A lot of young NBA fans that call themselves diehard. Yet, don't take the damn time to actually learn about the game. Learn about the history of the game. Because, you know, the history teaches you, you know, where you're going. Where the future is going. You know, the past, like a lot of the keys to the, to the future are in the past. So, I just believe in educating yourself as much as possible on something that you allegedly, supposedly love. So, I want to talk, talk about um, those errors and just kind of break, break down a few differences from each decade to another. And I want to highlight the best players and, and a few of the best teams. And I'm not going to spend that much time on it. I'm going to kind of just kind of flow through it, but just enough to be able to you know, touch on everything. So, but let's go back to the MVP race in the NFL real quick. Uh, I mean, according to ESPN, it's like basically Rodgers, Mahomes, um, and Josh Allen. I actually got more candidates than that because I think the MVP can be given to about six or seven different people. Um, let me start off with Rodgers. I mean, obviously, you know, Aaron, I'm a Packer fan, by the way. <laughs> um, this is the best Aaron Rodgers has played since 16. Like this is by far like he's he's on the money. His accuracy, he's he's throwing with accuracy now. You know he's got his he's got much of his arm strength back. I don't think his arm is quite the same as it was before. You know the rotator cuffs, but it's close. Uh, but more importantly, he has his accuracy back. Um, so, man, new coach. You know, Mafloor's offense, man. He's you know he's. Aaron Rodgers is having an outstanding year, man. You know, he's reminding everybody, like, yeah, I'm pretty good, too. And a lot of the shit that Mahomes was doing, I was doing this shit while he was in high school. So, and then, of course, you have Pat Mahomes. I don't think, I don't think I can say any more about him than what ESPN says. Um, but 
you know, he's the best player in football for sure. Um, and you got um, Josh Allen. Uh, Josh Allen is having a hell of a year. Um, really helped resurrect the Bills franchise, and the the Bills are legitimate. They are a legitimate threat to the, to the Chiefs. Also, you have Russell Wilson in Seattle. I mean, obviously, Russell Wilson been putting in work for a long time. Um, as elite as you can get in this league. Um, but, now, that's where ESPN kind of stops me. I actually had Derrick Henry, Derrick Henry in that MVP discussion because of what he's doing with the Tennessee Titans. And, you know, obviously, they have a good – Tannehill's a good quarterback, but it starts with Henry. Henry is the heart and soul of that franchise. You know, Henry is like, Henry is probably the closest thing to like an old school franchise type of back that we, that I grew up on, you know, when I was watching football in the 80s and 90s. You know, he's as close to that as you can get today. Um, I mean, he's, he's legit, man. You know, 6'3", 250, 260, but man, he's a, he's just glass. He's deceptively fast. You know, he's very, he's very, he's very deceptive. Like quick feet. You know, he actually reminds me. You know, he probably re- reminds me most of maybe Eric Dickinson in a way. Uh, because Eric Dickerson was like that. Eric Dickerson was a big back, but he 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 collided. Like the way he ran, he ran like a gazelle. He just it was just collide. It was just effortless. You know, Henry doesn't quite have that, but there are there are, there are things about him that do remind me Dickerson. And I also have uh, Aaron Donald in there because you know you take him off the rounds and. You know that I don't think that defense, that defense is okay. They're not elite, and he's the best player on that team. So, you know, you look at the Rams. The Rams are, you know, they're a contender and they're definitely a Super Bowl contender. Now, do I believe that they're gonna get there? Hell no, because I don't trust Jared Goff as far as I could throw Jared Goff. But you look at the success of the Rams. You know, you you kind of have to look at number ninety nine first. So, and then you can also make I I think you can also make a case for like a like a like not a strong case, but you know for for like a dude like Galvin Cook who's leading all backs and scrimmages and having like a phenomenal year in that offense. You know, unfortunately he got Kirk Cousins, but as his quarterback, but you know. Or maybe fortunate because I'm a Packer fan, so I hate everything Minnesota. So Minnesota Vikings, Minnesota Timberwolves, it don't matter. I hate the hockey team in Minnesota. I don't like anything in Minnesota. So uh, <laughs> let me uh, let me just make my uh, Super Bowl pick real quick. Uh, you know the AFC man, the AFC is. It's tough, man. It's tough. You know, obviously you have the Chiefs, but you also have the Bills. You have the the Steelers. You know, Steelers could still get their shit together. Um, you know, the Ravens are always a threat, man. The way Lamar Jackson was running around the damn field against the damn Browns, um, they're always they're always a threat. They have a good defense. Um, so Baltimore is a threat. Um, 
I like Cleveland. Cleveland, Cleveland's a damn good team. Uh, they can run the ball down basically anybody's throat. Um, I think their defense is good enough to give some people problems. Baker Mayfield's playing outstanding. You know, put some respect on Baker Mayfield, man, because you know a lot of things been said about Baker Mayfield, but um, you know he's legit, man. You know he right now I haven't heard a shit from Baker Mayfield negative in like since the start of the year. Um, you know he's playing, he's playing, he's balling right now. And Nick Chubb as a running back, man, is fucking balling. I. You know, I understand they split carries or whatnot, but at this point, the the carries need to be start start to be slanted more toward Nick Chubb, getting majority of them, because that's how good he is. Man, he's quick. He has a little explosiveness to him. I think he got good, pretty good vision too. So, you know, um, but I kind of I kind of started rambling on. But uh, anyway, um, you know, despite all those contenders. Still going to go with the Chiefs uh, to come out the AFC. And they are going to face my Green Bay Packers. Yeah, I'm calling it. I'm calling it the Green Bay Packers and the Chiefs in the Super Bowl. Now, I know in the NFC, you you got the Saints. You know, you you, you got the I mean, I don't even think the Bucs, I wouldn't even count the Bucs as, like, that strong of a contender. But, you know, they, they, they definitely have the talent to do so. But, um, you know, you got you got the Seahawks, you got the Rams, um, and then you have Washington, um, who I, I don't mean to be disrespectful toward the football team, but, you know, um, but they're 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 legitimate also, man. I could I, it would not shock me if Washington ended up in this COVID football year. Would not shock me if Washington football team <laughs> fucked around and made the NFC title game. <laughs> it would not shock me, man. Their defense, uh, their defense is legit. Uh, offensively, got a lot. <laughs> they got a lot, to, a lot of work to do, but when you do have a defense, you, you know, regardless of what era of football we in, you you got a shot. So, um, but yeah, um, I just think the Packers are the most probably. We have the best quarterback in the conference. Um, my only issue with the Packers is our defense. And it's always been our issue. Our issue is with, with that that defense has been an issue since we won the Super Bowl fucking ten years ago. <laughs> so uh, that's always a concern. But I think the Packers can overcome it. You know, as long as I feel like as long as we don't have to go against a Kyle Shanahan ran offense, then we we we, we got a chance. So um, so yeah, I'm definitely going with the Packers to come out the NFC. And they will upset, repeat, upset the Kansas City Chiefs. I don't know how the hell that's going to happen, y'all. <laughs> but, damn it, it, if it happens, it's going to happen. But, uh, my, 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 my green and gold heart <laughs> is starting to come out right now. And it's starting to take over. And I'm becoming unbiased. But, um, let me, <laughs> let me reel myself in for a second. <laughs> um. You know, any kind of matchup that goes down between the Chiefs and the Packers, 
Chiefs are probably going to end up winning. Uh, but it's going to be an entertaining Super Bowl, though. All right. Now it's time for NBA uh, talk. Uh, like I said before, uh, I'm gonna uh, talk about the eras. I'm gonna go decade by decade, uh, for the most part. Probably, like I said before, probably in the eighties and nineties. I'll probably uh, lump that in together because that's the golden era. So, uh, and I'm gonna go um, all the way to the twenty tens. Um, so. All right, let's do this. Time to dive back into the eras. Uh, NBA pass. So, first off, uh, I'm sure, unfortunately, there's a lot of people that don't know this. A lot of those millennials. But the NBA was actually founded June 6, 1946, up in New York, New York. Um, so... Uh, and how the league started off, it started off extremely small. Um, and the game was <laughs> nothing like it was, like it is today. It, I mean, the polar opposite. Uh, because there was no shot clock. Uh, games often would end like, you know, 8 to 10 or 7 to 8. You know, the whole style of the game. It wasn't no pick and roll. It was like basically the whole style that came in the 50s. Especially in, in like the 40s and and like much of the early 50s was uh, you know just basically guys standing close to the paint <laughs> trying to get trying to get as close as possible and mugging each other and then there was a lot of and then when a team had to leave for example they would stall they would pass around and keep passing around and they keep passing they're basically playing keep away so. Uh, if you were a basketball fan, you know, it was, man, the, the 40s, if you, man, if you happen to look up and find a game from, like, the 40s and early 50s, whoo, please, please watch it, because just the, just the contrast of style from today, and then, you know, it, it will blow your eyes away, so, all right, um, and in the 50s, uh, this was when, you know, things started getting good. Um, obviously, the most important thing that happened in the 50s as far as basketball, it was actually two things. Number one, uh, Maurice Pudov introduced the shot clock, uh, which completely changed the game. The shot clock was added to um, to speed up the game, to keep that mugging shit, you know, because nobody was watching the damn game. The game was unwatchable. So, um, when he introduced that, uh, it, sp it sped up the game tremendously and it made it more enjoyable to watch. And slowly, slowly, fans started coming. But um, probably the, the second most important thing, or the most important thing, uh, man, you know, Bill Russell, you know, Red Arback, Jewish man, Jewish coach for the Celtics, man, he had the foresight to see exactly what basketball was, but he had the he saw where it could be. And he drafted Russell. And he completely transformed the way basketball was played doing so. Um, though the Celtics were like really the first 
like run and gun type of team. They fucking invented, they practically invented the fast break. You know, just based off with Russell defense, Russell shot blocking. Russell had a talent for being able to block the shot, but keep the shot in, in but keep the ball in play. And he will often like actually block the shot to teammates. <laughs> and they would start to break. And man, the Celtics like literally ran people off the court. <laughs> uh, you know, so uh the sixties, man, like you know, the sixties the was a crazy era, man. Um some of the like the sixties had a very fun style of play. You know, it was very much they actually played a lot faster than they do to in today. Um, you know, if you stat nerds out there, why don't you go look up your look up your advanced stats and shit and they will indicate that you know, that the sick players and you know, not just the sixties, but also too in the eighties too. They played at a faster pace than what's being played today. It was a different bland of basketball. You know, it wasn't like guys jogging to three point lines and stuff. You know, guys were jogging for layups and dunks. It's a big difference. Guys were jogging for guaranteed buckets. But anyway, back to the sixties, man. The sixties was like populated with so many like great players, man. You had you had, you know, the, the big O, of course. You had Wilt. Uh, Russell, you know, John Havacek, Sam Jones, you know, you had Bob Pettit, who I believe is like the first stretch four. Um, you know, you had, you know, iconic, you know, players like uh, Connie Hawkins. Uh, Elgin Baylor was one of them because Connie Hawkins and Elgin Baylor were like kind of like the first Skywalkers. They rev- they. A lot of ways they revolutionized that position. You know, Connie Hawkins was like the first like big four that was that had great athletic ability. You know, the dude could the dude could fly at six nine. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, y'all. You know, you had uh, you know, and then you have uh, Elgin Bella, who's shit. He's like the godfather of Skywalks. He's the godfather of high flies. Like, after him came Dr. J, then came, you know, David Thompson, MJ. So, uh, that's just to give you kind of like uh, a glimpse as to what, you know, Elgin Bailey, what he meant, you know, like his influence. Um, Then you had, of course, the logo, Jerry West. Man, you just uh, you have guys like you know Walt Bellamy, like also another athletic. He was like a prototype big, an athletic face up type of big, like almost seven feet. Um, so you you had a lot of, and I'm sure I'm leaving out a shitload of players, um, a shitload of great players, uh, like Chet Walker, for example. Uh, you know. Um, like Hal Grill was a great guard. Uh that played along Chamberlain for all those years, uh, in Philly before he he was traded. Uh so you had you had so many great players, man. Uh, you know, many of those players that played in the sixties are still, you know, considered among the top, you know, forty, fifty players all the time. You know, that just shows you a lot about the sixties and you know, the the probably the best example I can give about how competitive the sixties were. 
despite the, the, the Celtics dominance, is if if you shrink the current NBA down to let's say from 30 teams to you know maybe like you know eight nine teams, that's basically what you had in the 60s NBA. So every team had basically about maybe two to three all stars. You know, every team had depth. Every team had talent. So the, the league was fairly was fairly balanced in that sense. Since you know, for a while the Celtics had the most talent until like about the I say until like the the like the early sixties. Uh, Kuzi retired. You know, guys started getting old, and you know. Um, so they wasn't exactly the the town the most talented team anymore. And what happened was uh, Bill Russell, who became coach, Bill Russell uh, started running the offense through himself. So Bill Russell was like, <laughs> uh, who was he was like Vladi Divas in that in that sense, like where the Kings used to, you know, give the ball to Vladi Vladi or or C Webb at in the elbow, and they would run off cuts and stuff and. Bloody C. Webb hit the pass, and they would run that. That's basically what the Celtics were doing with Russell. You know, that's what they were doing with Russell. You know, you hear a lot about Wilt as a passer, and Wilt was a tremendous passer for a big man, but Bill Russell belongs right up there with him. Believe that, as far as a passer. Bill Russell might be the most uh, – he's one of the most – he's so underrated in this sense because – you know, people just think of him as, oh, he just played defense. And No, man, Russell could do everything. Russell did everything. You know, Russell Russell could score when he needed to or when the team needed to. You know, he, he, he could set people up. You know, obviously defensively he was like a one-man defense. He covered so much damn ground. But um, offensively, man, he, he was just as impactful. You know, he was just as impactful. So um, he's he's underrated in that sense as far as his impact, uh, and just a lot of a lot of millennials, they just don't know, <laughs> you know they, all you know just just assume oh it was the sixties or oh, he was a stiff and no man you know Russell, Will Chamberlain man those were Olympic level athletes, Olympic level athletes, transcendent athletes. So, um, but um, highlight of the 60s, uh, obviously the player of the 60s is Bill Russell. Um, you know, five champ, you know, all the championship, won five, actually won about four MVPs during that decade, if I'm correct. If I'm wrong, please, somebody call me out on that. But, um, yeah, um, so, uh, but, yeah, um, now I'm going to go to the 70s real quick in the, the 70s was kind of a uh 70s was kind of a, a weird era, you know. Basketball, NBA basketball was was popular and but it was missing something, you know. And then you had this other league, the ABA, that had that something that the NBA needed. But the NBA needed something that the ABA needed. So they both needed each other. It was like they was like <laughs> it's basically like they were saying, I got what you want, you got what I need, you know, it's just, <laughs> so eventually it got to a point where, you know, 
the ABA could no longer support itself, and the NBA was like, hey, come on over here, y'all. We could use y'all <laughs> without, without saying as much. But, um, but yeah, the merger happened in um, 1976. Uh, gave birth to one of the craziest seasons that year. But, um, but I'm a, I'm, I'm, I got a little bit too far ahead of myself. I'm going to rewind that shit right back. <laughs> and I actually want to talk about Kareem real quick because Kareem was uh, drafted uh, in the 70s. Uh, so, uh, but, man, I just want to talk about Kareem real quick, man. You know, when Kareem was drafted to the Bucks, <laughs> uh, I don't even think the Bucks were like a 30-win team, like a 30-some-win team. The very next year, he transformed them, and I believe they won 60 games. <laughs> the very that the the year they drafted him wins a championship, and it's just his second year. Um, you know, with a you don't get me wrong, Oscar Robson was still a very good player, but I mean he was clearly aging at that point. Uh, he, it wasn't exactly the best Oscar Robson. This wasn't the Cincinnati Royals. I'm putting up triple doubles every night, Oscar Robson. This was like, nah, I'm going to give you about 18 and 7 or something, Oscar Robson. So that's a pretty fucking big difference. Uh, Chester McLaughlin. But, you know, they had talent, man. The, that Probably that bus team was probably maybe, maybe underrated and underappreciated. Um, then you have the 72 Lakers after the 71 Bucks, um, which won 69 games, won 33 straight games. Um, but this is the era in which the NBA basketball kind of took a started to take a nosedive. And it was pretty noticeable, too, because um, the level of play had dropped off. You had the ABA snatching a lot of players, you know, straight from, you know, straight from college and so, um, so yeah, that's that's why it goes back to what I said before. You got what I want. You got what I need. So after like a few more years of just you know average basketball, you know they they merged. The two leagues merged. Uh, the NBA brought its fundamental style, and the ABA brought that flair, brought that brought that brought that swag to the game that the NBA missed. So, uh, man, the, the 19, I highly suggest uh, people, you know, if, if y'all don't know, man, I highly suggest y'all do some research on this, man. The 77 season is one of the wackiest seasons in NBA history. Um, you know, there was, there was a lot of talk about the legitimacy of the ABA. The 77 season proved the ABA was not only, <laughs> not only a legitimate league, and but the fact was, it was right. It's it's on par with the NBA talent, because you had half NBA, half NBA, and then you have a half ABA players on All Star teams. So, uh, but yeah, uh, the seventies. Uh, once the merger happened, we got Doc, um, you know, and Dr. J was like the he was he was the Jordan of the seventies, like from a from a cultural standpoint, there was no man, you you can't I don't think you could come up with three players, maybe four players that was more influential all time than Dr. J. I don't think you can. Because Dr. J, 
you know, Dr. J inspired like generations of players. You know, he, you know, he inspired Jordan and, you know, Jordan, you know, Dr. J was one of the players Jordan looked up to. You know, he inspired, like, you know, Charles Barkley to play basketball. All these players, man, all this generation of players, man, all looked at Dr. J as, like, you know, the the dude, the man, because he was. Man, this man carried the ABA. He was the he was the star in the ABA. He was the franchise player. And, and you know, I'm lucky enough to have seen seen games of ABA Dr. J, um, and man, it, it's amazing. Wow, like unfucking real. It's like a like like a video game out there. And this is the '70s, and Dr. J was doing physically doing shit in the '70s that you know some guys can't really said that a lot of guys can't really do today. So transit. Uh, Transistent talent, um, just class personified. Um, you know, Dr. J, you know, led those Philly teams. And, you know, to, and I think to a fault of himself, honestly, he's probably a little too unselfish because he should have, with that, with those Philly teams, he, I think he probably would have been better off just kind of taking the bull more about a horn from a leadership example because of Philly. Uh, Philly had always had so much talent, but they were never, but they, sometimes they never really, they didn't gel quite the way they needed to as a team, or they were missing a piece here or there as a team that just could not get, get them past, let's say, uh, Portland in the 77 finals, or, or, um, or the Lakers, you know, any other finals before, you know, before they ultimately got Moses in the 80s, but I'm going to get to that real quick. Uh, and then lastly, in the 70s, um, you know, you had uh, <clears throat> um, you had Doctor, um, you had uh, Larry Bird, you had Magic drafted, um, and they represented lights in the tunnel because the NBA had some problems, man. In the 70s, man, games were on tape delay, fans weren't really showing up. Um, you had you, I mean, the fighting. Like fighting had become really like a a a, a big thing because it became really a, a bad thing because you, it started. It got to the point where it was almost a player killed on the court. Um, um, you know, Kermit Washington gave like the man the 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 most devastating cross <laughs> to a man, right cross to a man you can give without killing that person. Uh, and, and so it was, yeah, it was a lot of problems in the seventies. Uh, and then also to a cocaine problem. Uh, now it wasn't, it, you know, nobody knew how bad cocaine was at that point, but they found out in the eighties, man. Uh, you know, everybody, you know, everybody was doing cocaine back. A lot of players were doing cocaine. It was just, it was just how things were like. Players, people were doing cocaine, and they just didn't, they didn't realize, you know, then, you know, the, how bad, horrible it was, but um, unfortunately, they had to find out the hard way. So, I'm going to fast forward to the 80s. I'm going to start with the, <laughs> I might as well keep talking about coke. Um, so, 
Uh, it got to a point where the 80s, where the league had to do something. Uh, you could physically see players, like <laughs> like how skinny players, some players were, and like how they, how some players seemed to be kind of, you know, clouded or out of it, and, you know, in a haze. And that <laughs> that shit started to become more and more and more. So um, eventually, the league did have did have to step in eventually. But that's 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 later. Um, so um, real quick, uh, 1980, uh, we had a great finals uh, with Magic. You know, Magic really showing showing his ass in Game Six, even though Kareem should have still got the MVP. But still, I mean, hey, um, Magic won won his first Finals MVP, his first one, first championship. Literally the next year, Bird. Leads the Celtics back from 3-1 against a phenomenal Sixers team. Um, that that 81 Sixers team, first of all, the 81, 82 Sixers teams are some are probably like two two of the greatest teams that that never won the title. They have to be like Philly was stacked. Um, but yeah, Bird led them back 3-1. Seven game series. I highly suggest because uh, you still there's still a few of those games on YouTube. Highly suggest to anybody that 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 they rewatch as much as the '81 Eastern Conference Finals as possible. Honestly, it's it's the greatest series. It's it's the greatest. It's one of the greatest series ever. Finals and no finals. That's how good this series was. Uh, I want to say three of the. Uh, four out of five games in the series were decided by three points or less, and I believe it was three overtimes in the series. Uh, phenomenal series. You talk about two championship teams going at it toe-to-toe. That's what you had in the 81, uh, fi- uh, 81 East Finals. Uh, Bird. Uh, Bird versus Doc. Uh, wow. You can't get no better than that as a fan. Um but yeah, so uh, oh, Lakers win in '82 after Magic gets West head fired. Pat Riley takes over, and they <laughs> the Lakers beat the Sixers again. <laughs> um, but Philly got their revenge in '83. They got Moses. At that point, Moses was the best player in basketball. You know, Moses from I want to say from about '79 to about '80. For like a maybe a three or four year stretch, was the most dominant player in basketball. The man got three MVPs in like a five year stretch. That's how dominant he was with Magic and Bird in the league and Kareem. That's how dominant Moses Malone was. That's why I still have Moses Malone in my top twelve all time. Uh, that's how that's how dominant that dude was. Nobody, nobody crashed the damn offensive glass like Moses. Nobody. Um, so Philly gets Philly gets Moses. I mean, they win. Philly, that 83-60 team, is one of the greatest teams ever. Um, now, after that, you got the 84 finals, the first matchup between Bird and Magic. And to me, still the greatest final series ever. The 84 finals, man. Doesn't get much better than that. You talk about great basketball, hatred, intensity, just F you, all that. I mean, it had everything, man. 
like everything. Uh, still to this day, the, my opinion, the greatest series ever. Um, they rematched in '85. Um, you know, Bird does something pretty stupid. He gets in a bar fight, breaks his hand. He plays like shit the entire series, obviously, because he has one hand. So, but uh, Lakers win. But the great thing, <laughs> actually, the great thing is that we got pissed off Bird. And during this time, Bird was put together probably, Bird probably was put together probably like maybe one of the greatest stretches of basketball ever. Three straight MVPs uh, during, this, during this time. Three straight MVPs. You could put his stat line and his impact against just about anybody that's ever played. And he's right there. That's how dominant Larry Bird was during that stretch, man. He was the best player. He was the most feared player. He was Jordan, <laughs> basically. He was fucking prime Jordan. That's the, the type of fear that prime Jordan put in the people heart. That's what Larry Bird did. More, in, in, in a lot of ways, more. Because Bird was 6'9". You couldn't block his shot. And, man, he could shoot out the damn gym with people hanging all over him. Burr rebounds, lead Boston uh, back to the title in 86. And my opinion, the 86 Celtics are still the greatest team ever. Uh, they had everything. Uh, they, they destroyed you inside with Bird, uh, McHale, Parrish, and Walton off the bench. And then they had just enough shooting on the outside with Bird, with um, Ainge, with DJ, and Scott Webman to keep you honest. Uh, they, they, could sh they had just enough three-point shooting, but then they also could shoot from mid-range like crazy. Uh, Mikhail was a good mid-range shooter. Mikhail, at this point, was like the, the most dominant post player alive. Uh, you, you could not cover him man-to-man. -man. So, in Boston, with that in combination with their defense, their length, Man, they, they, that team was ridiculous. We lost one game at home, the, only one game at home. Uh, so that Boston team, to me, is the greatest ever. Um, so now, of course, after that, we have the 87 Lakers, which the <laughs> 87 Lakers is right, is literally right there with the damn 86 Celtics as far as greatness. The, the big difference with the 87 Lakers as opposed to any other Laker team uh, was up to that point was Magic. Magic took over the leadership. Magic took over on the court. Like by this point, Magic had matured to the point where, you know what? This needs to be my team. This is on me. I'm taking shit over. And he picked it up, led the Lakers in scoring. Uh, it was his best season at this by by far to this point. And that's saying a lot. Then you have you have the rise of the Pistons in the 80s, and the Pistons brought a unique style, so to speak. I mean, everybody, I think a lot of people know that, you know, when you think the bad boy Pistons, you think physicality, you think people just getting their ass kicked. You know, their ass handed to them on the court, like you're thinking dirty play. And, and yeah, it was, a, it was a lot. The Pistons were that too. But Pistons was also a great team. They were also a great team. Uh, 
they had a great backcourt. Um, their their ability to be able to play any style because the Celtics, I mean, the Pistons could run up and down with you. They could play half court. You know, they had unconventional post players to where they could be able to play in the post. You know, you want to play post up? We can post up too with Mark McGuire and Boot Edwards. You know, so they had they were they were a unique team. They could they had the flexibility within that roster to match up with basically any team and play any style. All right, and you know, as far as the physicality that they brought, it was a very physical style of defense. Uh, very physical style. You know, you you didn't you you didn't go to the hole. <laughs> you know, it wasn't you know the, the way players drive to the hole now. You know, they finishing a lot of time they're finishing over six five dudes, or or nobody's really there because the defense is so spread out. You know, that wasn't the case. It wasn't no playing in space back then. Everybody played in played in traffic, and you got used to it. It was demanded. You play in traffic, and that's what they. Then that's what the Pistons made you do more than anything. They made you play in traffic. They made you play in the crowd. They would physically. They would attack you. They would hit you hard as they can to try to break you mentally, and they did for a lot of players. So also during this time, you had the rise of the bull. Well. The rise of Michael Jordan, the Bulls were still were still still behind, <laughs> but uh, we gonna get into the Bulls <laughs> very very soon. Um, so actually, now, <laughs> so let's go. Let's just go straight to the '90s. Um, you know, I call basically 1979 to 1995 like the golden era of basketball, um, and. Some of that, a lot of that has to do with the Bulls because uh, the Bulls, Jordan and the Bulls, they, they brought so much attention, so much, so much attention to the game that honestly, they actually, they ended up, uh, it was a positive, it was definitely a positive for the NBA. Um, you know, the 90s, you still had, uh, the 90s were a little, Defenses started getting a little smarter in the 90s, too. Um, in the 80s, it was a little man-to-man. Now, you know, you had you still had man-to-man, but, um, you know, there was a little more, uh, it was a little more more uh, fairness to it, except for when, you know, the except for the Knicks and a few teams. Uh, the 90s was such a great era, man. Like, the 90s, unfortunately, the 90s is like the, you know, the 90s could have been even greater. You know, you, I was thinking about this a couple of nights ago as I was pre- trying to prepare for this show. Um, we had so many players in the 90s that either didn't pan out or they just, <laughs> or it just didn't happen because of injuries. Um, you know, you look at, you know, we had like guys that could have been legends that, that just, that, that passed, you know, that, that never got the opportunity. You look at Reggie Lewis. Um, you look at Lynn Bias, uh, you know, uh, Petrovich in New Jersey. You know, these are guys that could have been, especially Bias. You know, these are guys that could have been like Hall of Famers and, you know, guys that probably maybe could have tipped, you know, who definitely would have put their teams in better position. Uh, these are guys that, you know, 
just never got the opportunity to, to really reach their peak. So, and then you, you had other guys that never got, that didn't get quite that chance because of injuries. You know, you look at, you know, you look at Antonio McDice, for example. Antonio McDice, I tell people this, Antonio McDice was Amari Stoudemire before Amari Stoudemire. The difference is he just got hurt. He tore his ACL. Um, you know, Antonio McDice, crazy athletic big dude out of, out of Alabama. Good mid-range jumper, explosive, explosive athlete. Uh, double, man, quick jumper too. Uh, you know, you you just, yeah. You know, Zafonso Ellis is another one. Zafonso Ellis was also an explosive athlete, you know, for the Denver Nuggets. Um, literally outplayed, <laughs> came off a of series in 94, outplayed Sean Kemp, uh, got hurt, was never close to the same player. Um, so there were a few other players like that. You had guys that, you know, um, like a Penny Hardaway, who no doubt would have been a top 10 all-time player, but because of injuries, man, he he never he never got to reach his peak as great as great as what what you know what little we saw of Penny when he was healthy, that wasn't even his peak. He wasn't even touching the surface yet. Um, players that didn't pan out like you know super talented players who like I'm gonna get like a, a guy like Jim Jackson, you know Jim Jackson was super talented, big guard, athletic, could shoot, could pose, could do every could do a little everything could do everything pretty good uh but he he never quite panned out the way i thought he should have panned out you know you look at a guy like ty day for example uh who was drafted to boston six about six seven guard mossy skill you know should have been able to do everything but never quite panned out you know van baker uh, a, a, a big a, a power for multi skill good very good face-up game automatic mid-range shot could play back to the basket um, somebody get you like nine to ten rebounds a game he never quite panned out you know because for him because off the court reasons but you know the 90s man it was just a lot going on you know uh, this was like kind of the first era to where you know guys were guys were guys were like you know guys weren't there's a lot of guys not fo solely focused on the game. Like a lot of guys were like kind of distracted by off the court stuff. Well, and Jim Jackson and <laughs> Jamal Mashburn and Jason Kidd case, they was distracted by Tony Braxton fine ass. But you know, that's another story. But uh, yeah, you 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 know, guys like KJ, uh, Tim Hardaway, for example. You know, guys were yeah, you know, these are great point guards that were often injured you know that 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 just were changed by their injuries so to speak not not that they were often injured um so the 90s was a was a great era but man it could have been so much greater you know i imagine like you could do a whole bunch of what else with the 90s what if c Webb, for example stays in golden state and not go to washington and basically kind of waste away you know four years of his career what if he had stayed in Don, stayed with Don Nelson in Golden State, with all that talent he had, he had around him already? Probably would change for C. Webb's career. 
Um, you know, what if Grant Hill stays healthy, for example? And that's another guy I forgot. You know, Grant Hill's my favorite. He's probably my favorite player from that era. And, you know, we only got five five great years from him, and he was just starting to kind of expand his game when he got hurt. You know, he added a three – he had three-point range to his jumper when he got hurt. So, um the 90s great era but man it could have been so much greater and then obviously you had the bulls and you know you you had a lot of great teams in the 90s and you know and i and i'm and i'm kicking myself in the ass because i wanted to get into those to get into some great teams in the 80s besides um the lakers and celtics and the Sixers, which i i failed to do and that's on me and i gotta do a better job as a host and you know, as a podcaster, but you know, I can uh, one day I'll I'll definitely get I'll definitely go back to that uh, great teams in the '80s that were you know besides the Celtics and the Lakers. But um, as far as the '90s, man, you had so many good teams. You had you know the 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 Gary Payton, Sean Kemp, Sonics. You know, you had the the Knicks. You know, Patrick Ewing. Highly, highly underrated all time. Um, you know, you had the the Lakers, uh, uh, the, especially the mid '90s Lakers. You know, uh, they were fun to watch. You know, Nick Van Axel, Nick at Night. You know, Eddie Jones and you know, Seth Sabalas, who never met a shot he never <laughs> didn't like. Uh, and then they got Shaq um, in '90s, Shaq in '90s in the summer of '96. So. Um, yeah, man, it was a lot of a lot of good teams in the '90s. Uh, the Spurs, uh, David Robinson. Um, you know, you had the obviously you had the Magic with Shaq and Penny. You had the Pacers with you know Reggie Miller and Rick Smith. Uh, so a lot of good teams. You had some up and coming teams with New Jersey, uh, Kenny Anderson, Derek Coleman. I used to love watching New Jersey. Unfortunately, they just never panned out uh, for a lot of reasons. And Derrick Coleman is one of those players that should be a top five all-time power for, but he just he never he never made it. Never made it for several reasons. So, yeah. My Miami Heat in the late 90s with Tim Hardaway and Lonzo Mourning. Uh, man, you had the Charlotte Hornets with Glenn Rice. So there were a lot of good teams in the 90s. Um, the talent was much more spread out, so it, it led for more balance within the league. You know, even though the Bulls, you know, did win those six championships, and we're obviously the, the, the team of the decade had the greatest player ever in Michael Jordan, um, they didn't exactly cakewalk either, you know. It, it wasn't a cakewalk for them a lot of times, you know. They, 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 they faced some really good team. They faced some really good talent. So they, it wasn't like they were just like this loaded, ridiculously loaded team. First off, you know that's one of the big misconceptions about the Bulls, and it's fucking put out by the media, by fucking the Nick. Rights of the world, the Shannon Sharp, these damn Lavengers and the La Flops, whatever. Uh, the Bulls were not a super team. You know, Michael Jordan is the GOAT. 
offensively, defensively, and intangible, and intangibly the greatest, the most complete greatest player ever. But outside of that, <laughs> no teams was average, man. You know, you, you know, Scottie Pippen was a top seven, eight player in the NBA. He wasn't no top five player though. There was a big difference between the top five back then and everybody else. Uh, Scottie Pippen was not a top, wasn't a top five player. He was the best small forward in the league until Grant Hill got in the league. <laughs> so, you know, he wasn't, you know, and Scotty sure as hell was. Scotty was limited offensively. You know, you could get, you know, 19, 20 out of Scotty, but that's about, that's about all you could count on. Scotty had a very limited, he, he, he had a limited offensive game. You know, Scotty was about, Scotty's strength was defense and his playmaking, his ability being being a point forward to 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 run an offense or you know be in the right places and get everybody in the right place. Um, you know, I don't, I'm not, I love Scotty, and I don't want to, you know, I'm not trying to disrespect his his game by anything, but I mean, he was he was limited offensively, so you, you limited offensively meaning like he didn't have a great offensive game, so. That was not Scotty. Uh, you know, you're going to get Ron Harper, seven points a game. Ron Harper was not the Ron Harper he was in, in, in Cleveland, and he would damn sure wasn't the Ron Harper he was with the Clippers by the time he got to the Bulls. You know, cool coach. People act like cool coach was Luka Donich. Come on, man. Like, it's a big difference between 28 a game from you, let's say you get from Luka, and about 12 or 13 a game from Tony Kukoc, man. Come on. And that's off the bench, you know. Robin, Robin, great defender, zero value offensively as a scorer. So what 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 super team did Jordan have? What super team was this? I mean, Steve Kerr, Luke Longley, Jason Caffey, Judd Bush. Come on, man, that's a super team, huh? Nah, super team, my ass. If that's a super team, then I'm Denzel Washington. But yeah, that's that's just one. That's just a few things that kind of bother me about what the 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 stands say and and what the media says with their agendas and all that shit. Uh, but yeah, the Bulls definitely definitely not a super team. Um, I mean, we all know what happened in the rest of the '90s. Um, so uh, the style of play in the '90s, especially about the, like the late '90s. It started to slow to a crawl. It started to get slower and slower. Um, so by the 2000s, David Stern was like, man, we, we, need to, we need to get this damn game. We need to get the game moving again. We need to find a way to, to help offensive players, to help offenses be able to generate more points. So what they did was they eliminated hand checking. <laughs> so... Hand checking opened up the game a little more, opened it opened up the game a little more. Not too much, it not too much to where it got outrageous, but it was just enough. It, it 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 made it a little bit more balanced. Now you know you still had great offense, but you you still had great defense being played too. You know by the two thousands, I mean by this point, man, you the Shaq and Kobe Lakers was like running shit <laughs> at this point. Uh, the two thousands is the decade of the Mamba. Uh, the Mamba and Duncan, but uh, 
definitely, uh, I would yeah, definitely give the edge to, to Kobe as far as being a player of the decade. Um, just what, what Kobe, the transformation he made, because, you know, Kobe Bryant came in this league, man, he was a, he was, he was a rookie. He was, a, he was 17. Shit, he wasn't getting no time. You know, this dude made himself into being pr- probably the most skilled offensive player, the most skilled player ever, man, because when you think of skills, who the hell got more skills than Kobe Bryant? I, I think skills, I'm thinking shooting, like, I'm shooting, thinking shooting, mid-range, long-range, making impossible, ridiculous shots, um, you know, ball handling, passing, you know, post-game, mid-range, high post-game, he can shoot, he can go long-range with you, he step back, pull up, spin moves, post moves, all that shit, and then on top of that, you add in the defense, there's his tenacity, just his will to, like Jordan, say, nah, motherfucker, I'm going to dominate you. Nah, y'all don't want you to score a point. I want complete other domination. I want you to be able to look me in the eye and, and I want you to know that I'm better than you type shit. That's what Kobe Bryant was on on both ends of the court. Um, just, man, his transformation, like how he grew from when I first saw him step on the court you know, to when I last saw him step on the court, man, it was, it's tremendous, man. It's, that's, he, that's a player that got the absolute most out of his ability and out of his, his gift. He stretched it because I never thought Kobe Bryant was, was like a great athlete or nothing like that. He was a very, I thought he was a good athlete, very good. But there was certainly a hell of there was certainly more than there was certainly a lot of people more athletic than him, just at, just on the perimeter. But it's his skill that that really that 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 really stands out about him. When I think Kobe, I think skill, and I think tenacity. Samantha, Samantha, come in, Samantha. So, uh, but yeah, the Lakers dominated this the early part of this era. Obviously, you know, Shaq, Kobe, wasn't nobody beating them until, you know, Tim Duncan. <laughs> until Tim Duncan did it in uh, 03 with a with a young Spurs team, uh, emerging Spurs team. So, um, a lot of good teams in the 2000s. You had the Spurs, obviously. You had the Lakers, obviously. Both Shaq and Kobe, and then also the Lakers Gasol. Then you had the Houston Rockets during this time with Yao, um, you know, Dallas, um, you know, just out in the east. You know, you had the Nets, Jason Kidd's Nets. Um, and, you know, Tim Duncan definitely owes Jason Kidd one of them damn MVPs. But <laughs> uh, that's another story. Um, the 2000s, uh, you had AI, fixed Philly team. Um, so it was a lot of, lot of good basketball. Um, and then also, too, um, along with the hand-checking, um, zone defenses were introduced in the league to cut down on guys like AI and uh, to cut down on um, particularly Steve, Franc- Steve Francis, their ISO over-dribbling. <laughs> um, so it was brought in, they brought in the zone defenses to originally eliminate to eliminate one-on-one basketball, iso ball. 
and still to, <laughs> and <laughs> fast forward <laughs> fast forward to now we still got iso ball being played being kept alive faithfully <laughs> by james harden <laughs> yeah, he is faithful to iso ball he is keeping that motherfucker up, breathing <laughs> but uh but in but nah but just as a joke You got the D'Antoni's son's teams. And, you know, 2000, yeah, the 2000s were a great era. A lot of great players, you know. Uh, really, the 2000s, the players, like, if you just look at the player for player, the 2000s and the 90s, I mean, it's, it's like, bam, 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 bam. It's like, man, it's, if it was a boxing match, a 12-round boxing match, man, it would be damn near a draw. Uh, because the talent, the talent level was damn near equal. You had bigs like Jermaine O'Neal, who, you know, because of uh, injury, didn't quite pan out. But, but you know, didn't didn't have a long dominant career. But for like a short stretch, man, that dude was putting up twenty and ten. Uh, so the two thousands were an interesting decade. Um, also thinking. Um, 2010 uh we saw like the last like really like physical physical type of game that we're probably that we're gonna see for that we're probably not gonna see again uh Lakers Celtics game seven um man you watch you, you rewatch that game and then you watch a game from like <laughs> this past year's finals it's night and day like just how the, the how the game was played like the style, I mean, it's, you know, game seven was beautiful, ugly ball. It was a beautiful struggle, man, because both teams were struggling to score because the defense was outstanding and the defenses were allowed to be outstanding. And, you know, unlike in the current era, you know, I'm gonna get to go ahead and get to the 2010s right now. Uh, defenses are not allowed to to shine. Defenses aren't allowed to basically take part in the games um, because Silver has handicapped them. He's legislated defenses out the game. Uh, the, the last straw to any kind of defense, <laughs> to any like high level quality defense being played was, um, you know, was the freedom of movement. When he introduced that, it just, you know, it, it really brought the backs of defenses and I think that's why we're seeing like, you know, all these, all these, you know, crazy 140, 130 type of games. And, you know, this is, you know, and to each their own, everyone, everyone, you know, has their own particular style of play that they like to watch. Me, I prefer more of a balance, you know, both teams have, you know, a chance, you know, versus today. And, you know, now it's like the rules are just completely slanted in favor of the offense to the point where defenses are, are hopeless. And I hope it gets back to where we used to be as far as, you know, some type of balance because that's when basketball is at its best. That's when the game is at its most beautiful is when you see great offense scoring over great defense. You know, now, you know, that's not – now that's that's really not necessarily that's not the case anymore because you know you they really don't you don't have to 
So I hope the game goes back to, you know, gets that balance back. But uh, the 2000s, uh, Decision, <laughs> LeBron, <laughs> um, and then you have 2011. I'm not going to – I kind of got into that ad nauseum uh, over, the, over the years. Um, I just want – I'm just going to go ahead and say, you know, uh, stacked, no stack. You know, at the end of the day, man, it's going to go down in the record books as rings, as championships. So, you know, it is, it is what it is. Um, you know, now do I – I do think, you know, there are levels to championships. There are levels to, you know, importance of a championship. But, you know, that's a different topic on a different day. Uh, but right now, uh, I am going to touch on the 13 Heat real quick. Uh, 13 Heat was a very special team. Um, you know, Dwayne Wade, I don't think he gets enough credit for making as big of a sacrifice as he did for, you know, allowing for, for willingly stepping back, looking at, looking at shit and stepping back and saying, you know what, in order for us to win, I'm gonna need to take a step back and let this dude just just be be his most be at his most comfortable, which is running all, running everything. So big shout out to Dwayne Wade for that. Um, Thirteen, we got the absolute best LeBron year that's ever been. Thirteen was prime LeBron. LeBron has never played that level. He's never played at that level before or since. Uh, offensively, particularly defensively, his help defense and his versatility, uh, willingly being a, willingly playing all five positions, um, it was the key to the Heat. It was the key to those Heat teams. We don't win that champion. We don't win those championships without uh, without LeBron and his versatility. We don't we don't we don't get there without him. So his versatility. You know, his ability to kind of really be a Band-Aid, kind of be a Band-Aid in any situation because he can kind of mask a lot of things on on your basketball team. So, um, so yeah, I just wanted to give – I don't give Brian much credit, but I'll give him that. <laughs> but, no, but for real, no. He, he definitely deserves credit for, the, for that 13 championship. Um, and 14, um, Spurs, uh, that 14 Spurs team might be the, um, it definitely belongs up there as one of the, probably the greatest in recent memory. Definitely the greatest, one of the greatest of this decade for sure. Um, they shot lights out. They played with a pissed off edge the whole season. That's a team that wasn't taking no for an answer. Uh, 16 Warriors, um, Obviously, great upset by the Cavs um, with the help of the refs. <laughs> but, um, no, but no, seriously, it was, a, it was a great upset by the Cavs for sure. Um, you know, the rise of KD and, you know, KD joining the Warriors. You know, I, the 2010s, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to come back to the 2010s because there's some things that need a deep discussion. <laughs> Uh, but uh, KD joined the Warriors. Uh, I was uh, highly against the move uh, just from a basketball legacy standpoint because 
I just looked at it as a weak move. Like, why are you joining this team? Why don't you stay where you are? But, you know, hey, um, I, I understand why he did it basketball-wise, and, and it was the best move for him because he did become – he did really become the player that he should have became in OKC that he wouldn't have been able to become in OKC because of the coaching – and I think because of the coaching and also kind of he needed, he needed somebody like a Steph Curry to kind of encourage him. Uh, but, you know, but that's – wow, man, I didn't realize I was talking for damn near an hour, y'all, on this. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, man, uh, definitely appreciate you guys. Um, appreciate anybody that's, you know, willing to take the time to listen. And, um, man, please leave any feedback whatsoever. Um, whether it's on the uh, anchor or whether it's, you, know, you just drop me a drop me an inbox on Twitter or whatever. Uh, so, man, you guys have a wonderful t- day. Uh, be safe. Wear your damn mask. Keep your distance. Peace out. <laughs>